Christmas is a time when we meditate on and celebrate the fact that the Son of God, who existed for all eternity as God, became also a man. He did not lose any of his deity. He took on humanity. In light of that truth, there's an important question I want you to ponder with me today. The question is this, what does it mean to be human? When John says in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh, what does that mean? Now, you might think to yourself that being human is something so plain and straightforward that it's not worth thinking about. After all, if you're anything like me, you've been a human your whole life. But from the earliest pages of Scripture, we're reminded that humanity is not something that came about on its own, nor do we exist independently of God. Instead, He invites us to consider our humanness in light of His Godness. One way that the author of Genesis does this is in the way he tells us how God made different things. Over and over throughout the account of creation, God says, Let there be. Let there be light. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let the waters swarm with living creatures. Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. You get the idea. But when it comes time to make man and woman, God does not simply say, let there be humans. Nor does he say, let the earth bring forth humans or something like that. Instead, listen to how different this act of creation is. This is from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. In Hebrew, there's a word barah. It's a word that implies a purely divine act of creation. As humans, we can make things, but we cannot create something out of nothing. It's kind of like the saying you might have read in a Chick-fil-A. We didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. That's really good theology, as it were. Humans cannot create chickens out of nothing. But we can take chickens that God has created and make them into delicious chicken sandwiches and dip them in Polynesian sauce with a side of waffle fries and a Coke Zero. The word bara refers to that powerful act of creation out of nothing that only God can do. And the word bara is used in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created bara created the heavens and the earth. That's the only time the word bara is used until you get to verse 27, where it is used not once, but three times. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God could not make himself any clearer The creation of humanity is exceedingly special. 
It's not like the creation of plants or animals or even planets or stars. The creation of man and woman is something altogether different and unique. It is the crown of God's work in creating all things. And what makes humanity so special is that they are created in God's own image. Just stop and think about that for a moment. There are some truly majestic things in creation, aren't there? If you've ever flown in an airplane above the clouds, it can be breathtaking. The same can be said for a snow-capped mountain range, or when we try to consider the vastness of space and the beauty of constellations. Yet none of those things have as much dignity as a single human person. Because nothing else in creation is created in God's image. So just what does it mean exactly that humans are created in His image? Well, there in Genesis 1 verse 26, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the simplest way to define the image of God is to say that more than anything else in all creation, God made humanity to be the most like Him. And thus, every human person is endowed with inherent dignity and significance. Throughout history, Christians have tried to be more specific in their definition of the image of God. They've tried to explain what it is that composes the image of God in humanity. And I want to point out three different views that have arisen over time. The first is often called the substantive view. According to this perspective, the image of God is some characteristic within humanity that sets it apart from the rest of creation. For example, humans have the capacity for rational thought and moral consciousness. I can train an animal to fetch a toy, but I could ask another human person to go into my basement and bring me back the lime green sledgehammer in the corner behind the red trash can. And even if that person has never stepped foot in my house, even if they have never seen a lime green sledgehammer in their life, they have the rational ability to interpret my language and follow my instructions. That person would also be able to analyze whether it would be reasonably safe and morally right to do what I have asked them to do. So humans are distinct from rocks and stars and animals in this way. The second perspective on the image of God is called the relational view. And this is the idea that God created humans more than any other created things to exist in relationships. There in Genesis 1, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. It's a, it's a hint of the Trinity reminding us that for all of eternity, God has existed in three equal persons. And God made humans like Him to exist in relationship with one another and with God. He did not just make one person in His image. Nor did God make one kind of human in His image while others would not be made in His image. Now, Genesis 1 tells us that God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. 
And we know from Genesis 2 that after God created Adam, he said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So the image of God seems in some way to to be related to this idea that God designed humans to have relationships with one another and with him. The third perspective on the image of God is called the functional view. So there was the substantive view first, then there is the relational view, and third, there's the functional view. And according to this third perspective, the image of God has to do with the activities in which humans participate, the functions that humans perform. In Genesis 1, after saying, let us make man in our image, God adds, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God tells his newly created image bearers, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So the image of God has to do with humanity's responsibility to be stewards of the rest of creation. Humanity exercises dominion over creation under God's authority. So which one of these three perspectives on the image of God should we choose? Should we go with the substantive view that says that the image of God has something to do with rational thought and moral consciousness? Should we go with the relational view that says that the image of God is about how God made us to exist in relationships? Or should we go with the functional view, which says that the image of God is about what God has commanded us to do as his responsible creatures? The truth is, all three of these teach us something important about the image of God. They all draw from what God says and does in Genesis 1. And rather than choosing one to the exclusion of the others, it would be much more helpful to take a a holistic view here. Yes, humans have the capacity for rational thought and moral consciousness, as the substantive view reminds us. But does that mean that people with diminished intellectual abilities are less human? Or what were to happen if I were to go into the hospital for surgery and be anesthetized and lose my ability temporarily to exercise rational thought and moral consciousness? Would I in that moment temporarily cease to be in God's image? Of course not. We cannot reduce the image of God merely to a substance like that. We cannot ignore the fact that being in God's image also means that we are designed by God to have relationships, and we can't ignore the fact that God's purpose was to fill the earth with people made in His image. Theologian Bruce Ware put it this way, The image of God is not only about the qualities of our inner lives, it is also about our responsibilities, what we are called to do. Being in the image of God is not only about who we are, having qualities that are like God's qualities, it also has to do with acting in the ways that God would act, living in a way that represents Him. And of course, that raises a really important question. How does our sinfulness affect the image of God? Well, one thing that is clear is that the Bible continues speaking of humans in God's image even after their fall into sin. So while we might say that sin disfigures the image of God in us, it does not destroy it entirely. And that brings us back to Jesus. 
In Colossians 1.15, Paul describes him as the image of the invisible God. While humans are created in God's image, Jesus is God's image. If the image of God is about being like God in some ways, then not only was Jesus human, he was more human than anyone who has ever lived because he was perfectly like God. He imaged God's character and represented God's likeness without flaw or sin. Or to say it from a different perspective, he experienced everything it means to be human except sinning. Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the hope and expectation of all those who are in Christ is, in the words of Romans 8, that we will be conformed to the image of God's Son. God made us to be like Him, but we have all sinned. We have all failed to represent God accurately in the world. So God sent Jesus as the perfect representation of what God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. And those who are united to Christ by faith are being conformed once again to that image. We are becoming more and more what God created us to be. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.